loving and everlasting God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen. Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 2, verses 8 through 16. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished upon her silver and gold that they be used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her shame in the light of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to all her mirth, her festivals, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed festivals. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my pay, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the wild animals shall devour them. I will punish her for the festival days of the Baals when she offered incense to them and decked herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, says the Lord. Therefore, I will now allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. From there, I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. There she shall respond as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing in a sermon series called The Church, which began back in January. We've explored these different images that the New Testament gives us of the church and what it means for who we are and what we do. We looked at church as ecclesia, as gathering, assembly. We've looked at the church as body, the church as sheep, the church as temple, each of us living stones set upon the foundation who is Jesus Christ. Today, the church as household or family, an image all over both the Old and New Testament as far as speaking to what we are as God's people about. A word from the Lord comes today from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Imagine most of us have a group family photo in our home, one of those where we manage to get all of the aunts and the uncles, the cousins, the different generations. Maybe it's a beautiful photo, but think back to when it was taken, and maybe you remember those can be pretty tough. Because first, it's a minor miracle, even in the smallest of families, to get the whole family in one location on the same day, in the same hour, in enough of a condition where everyone feels like smiling and looking at the camera. But assuming you can pull together all of the schedules, the children, the grandchildren, parents, aunts, uncles, the newborn, the, pet, the favorite pet, assuming you get the key nucleus there for the big photo, sometimes that's not even the hardest part, is it? Sometimes so-and-so in the family is dating someone. And they seem to be a lovely person. They'd make a lovely addition to the family. Are they in the photo? Are they family enough? Some say, come on, join in. Others say, not family. Or maybe you just have them take the photo and quietly avoid the awkward conversation. What if they're engaged? Are they, are they family enough at that point? What if they're engaged, they bring the children from the other marriage, and, and, and we're all just for the very first time meeting these children. We know we're going to see more of these children someday, but do we all go on the Christmas card this year? What are the lines for determining a proper family photo? In Mark chapter 3, Jesus appears to have a different set of lines for determining who goes in the family photo. And it's upsetting some folks. A a little background before leading up to the passage I read. Mark chapter 2, for instance. Jesus, uh, the religious leaders are getting concerned with Jesus because he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. They're not normally in the family photo at table. Or just a little before the passage I read in Mark chapter 3, 13 to 19. It's this section to our ears that may sound so innocuous. We read, Jesus goes up the mountain and called to him those he wanted. Interesting. The word for called here has strong verbal roots with the Hebrew word in Genesis 1 for made or create. God made, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is creating something new. He went up to the mountain and called, created, made, to him those whom he wanted and they came, he appointed 12. Many of the the Jewish people that day would have immediately remembered, you know, Moses went up the mountain. In fact, in Exodus 24, Moses went up to the mountain and after delivering the people, constituted them again into their 12 tribes, each named. And here, Jesus is doing what Moses did, but he's kind of messing with the family photo. Peter, John, Philip, James. Why, Why is he messing with the family arrangement and the names of the 12? And then... One more example before we get to the passage I read today. We already, three chapters into the Gospel of Mark, have Jesus healing, working on the Sabbath, the day of rest. One of the major ways that you could determine within the people of God who is family and who is not is are you keeping the Sabbath? Jesus himself seems to be acting in ways that are unclear just how much he sees himself part of the family photo. And and we all know if anyone plays too fast and loose with who goes in that family photo, 
folks who assume themselves to be at the center, they get upset. So Mark 3, verse 21 reads this way. When Jesus' family, biological family, heard what Jesus was doing, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying he's gone out of his mind. Jesus, look, we know you've shared folk table with folks beyond the family of Israel. We know you've even gone about acting like a, a new Moses, kind of reconstituting the puzzle pieces of the family of God. We know you've worked on the Sabbath and kind of neglected something fundamental to be in family. But it's time to face up to your real family. They've come to restrain him. The people that can really speak into his life. And so in verse 31 we read the biological family sends some people inside to this house where Jesus is teaching. And they say, your mother and your brothers and sister are outside asking for you. There is nothing stronger than the pull of family asking for you. And that may be related by blood, biological family. That may be church family. That may be corporate family. That may be country family, sports team family, political party family. But when the family speaks and tells us it's time to get it together, time to rein it in, time to pull the act together, time to quiet down, time to get in line, time to cast the vote, the family may or may not be right. Either way, Family is a very powerful gravitational pull. And Jesus' response, they're asking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? I mean, who actually does belong in the family photo? To be sure, Jesus doesn't say the folks outside are not family, no. But he does pause long enough to say, look, Before we just assume who's going in the family photo, let's think about family. How do we get about determining those lines? Now at this point, already, chapter 3, Jesus has messed with the fourth commandment, Sabbath keeping. Now he's pushing the envelope on the fifth commandment, honor your mother, your father and mother. Why? Why early on all this stirring up of family themes. Why not, right here, just keep the peace, go out to your family, deal with the situation, away from the crowd, say what needs to be said. There was a story in Christianity Today this past week that God shared thousands of times, email, social media posts. Uh, it was an interview of Rachel Denhollander, who was a member of the USA Gymnastics team and sexually abused by Dr. Larry Nasser. She was the first, actually, to make a public allegation against him. She was the last of the 150 women who testified in court and shared their story. Her particular story, you may have seen, it it went viral. And Dan Hollander, she's a Christian. If you read the full transcript of what she said in court, you readily see how her faith informs her understanding of justice and repentance and forgiveness. In an interview with Christianity Today, uh, they asked her specifically about the portion of her testimony testimony where she talked about losing her church over sexual abuse. Den Hollander explained that before anyone knew she herself had experienced this, she became an advocate for those who'd been sexually abused or assaulted. 
Her advocacy inevitably involved her working with women in the church who'd experienced abuse in some form or another somewhere. And eventually it involved her alongside women who'd been experienced sexual abuse by prominent leaders in the, the national church. Well, the leadership of her particular congregation refused to listen or consider the pages of documentation and evidence and stories that she and some others had. So she eventually comes forward and says, look, I was sexually abused. This is part of why this this matters. And the leadership says, see, that's the reason your judgment's too clouded to see clearly on what you're talking about. And leaders soon made it clear to her and her husband that maybe this wasn't the church for them. Of course, later it would be uncovered that, yes, in fact, significant sexual abuse had been going on in the church for years, just as she had said. And for a moment, we we, we wonder, how how can Den Hollander have put forth documentation and stories, and how, how could the truth who is Jesus start to stir... How could the truth who is Jesus, who, who casts light on darkness, start to shine? How could, how could Jesus start to move and rise and shake to bring about justice and reconciliation and forgiveness? How could some real gospel start to move and shake? And how could the church, the family of God, of all people, hold him down, quiet him? When Jesus' family heard what he was doing, heard how the way, the truth, and the life was stirring and moving, they went out to restrain him. As truly beautiful and necessary as family is in all of its variations, family is very naturally inclined to guard its reputation, its name, its way of being. And not just those families that made the news in recent days is way too easy to point fingers. All of us know the pull that family can have, even to the point of covering darkness if it senses a threat to its being. In recent days, we've certainly seen the way that, the, that political families can call folks to both sides of the aisle into a deeper entrenchment with the family rather than an openness to the truth at any cost. Tonight, you will see the real power of sports family for some. Watch how one person in one kind of jersey can turn with all kinds of vitriol on a perfect stranger of another jersey. Watch how a person of one jersey can see every single foul that is being committed against their team. They can't seem to see a thing or name anything that maybe they're doing. Far more tragically, as the local police will tell you, abuse of most any sort almost always happens within families. Abuse will take place inside four walls all around the city, and most of the mature, of-age adults will not speak out because family. Whether shame, fear, duty, whatever, family has a loyalty dynamic that is at one sense so beautiful. And in that same dynamic, though, also knows how to restrain the truth when he starts to rise and shine and threaten any measure of the darkness and the way of being. Indeed, our scriptures are clear that it is the leaders of the family of God who eventually restrain Jesus to the point of putting him on a cross. 
And again, let me be clear. Family loyalty can be so beautiful and bring out some of our noblest qualities. But the less talked about truth about family is that it can be for all of us powerfully blinding. It can call us to an unquestioned loyalty to the family name, the institute, the political party, the church name, the sports name, and sometimes to great tragedy. Because none of those names are the one who himself is the fullness of truth and the fullness of love. In fact, Jesus wants to be Lord of our church and Lord of our lives, not because he's some kind of controlling demigod, but because he knows if we put any other loyalty at the center, no matter how wonderful and beautiful we name that loyalty, that family, that loyalty in and of itself is not at essence love and truth. That is only Jesus. And at some point, that loyalty will call us to run askew from truth and love and may even get us to the point where we're calling evil good and good evil. And so, yes, Jesus does stir the water of our definition of family early in his ministry because he knows our other loyalties can more readily compete for the... the, There's no other loyalty that competes more readily for our heart than that of family, whether biological or otherwise. Who are my mother and brothers? It is a jarring question, but it is also a loosening, freeing question. It is a question that helps us get to the maturity Den Hollander talks about in her interview when she says, the extent that one is willing to speak out against their own community is the bright line test for how much they care and how much they understand. The extent to which one is family, but somehow free enough to hold to the truth and love who is Jesus and speak out, that is the test for how much they really care and understand. Who are my mother and brothers? Who is my family? And looking around at those who sat with him, the crowds, Jesus said, well, here are my mother and my brothers. Here's family. Well, what'd they do to to be called mother and brothers aside from happening to be with you in your teaching at that moment, Jesus? Perhaps that remarkable line from Ephesians 1 comes to mind for some of us. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. God destined us for adoption as his children, family, through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of God of his will. What were our qualifications? None. Simply the good pleasure of God. God calls the crowd and they are family because that is how they have been named by grace. True, Jesus adds, whoever does the will of God is my sister and mother and brother. Which may sound confusing for a second. Well, wait, so families, whoever you call Jesus uh, or whoever does your will of course, the answer is yes. As Presbyterians who stand in the Reformed tradition, we believe that God's gracious call is so powerful, so effective, that that we cannot help but want to offer our lives in thankful obedience to God's will. The ones who are called are the same ones filled with the Spirit who then seek to do the will of God. They are one and the same. God names the crowd's family pure grace. We might also think of our reading from Hosea this morning. How scandalous. 
God talks about the people of God and their grave disobedience as adultery against God. You heard Jay read that. They've cheated. God's mad. God's hurt. God's disgusted with what they've done. What does God ultimately do? Hosea 2.14. I will now allure her. Speak tenderly to her. I will give her her vineyards. On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. You, cheater, betrayer, bride who has wounded me so, you're most definitely family. Bride even. This too is who God calls his family. Or, or again, we might think of Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew. You remember about the sheep and goats and, and how the sheep are brought into the eternal kingdom of God and we hear these sheep, they say, Lord, when... <laughs> When did we see you hungry and we fed you, or thirsty and we gave you something to drink? You were a stranger and we invited you in. You needed clothes, we clothed you. When were you sick or in prison and we visited? Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, they are referred to as siblings in the family of God, people in the photo. I mean, you, you can start to imagine if Jesus was the arbiter of the Christmas family photo debate. Jesus tells so-and-so they're not getting in the family photo because they're only dating at this point. I mean, Jesus would walk away from the whole conversation, the entire dynamic, not caring for a lick about the unspoken rules we're trying to have at work. He'd drive 20 miles down the road and grab a few folks from prison. He'd swing up north and grab your ex, who cheated on you, by the way. Grab, go down 10 miles south and get the crew you used to ran, run track with together back in the day. Run over, loop over to the hospital, make sure to get the sick. Run down the back alley and get a couple of the folks who are hunkled over the trash cans at the moment. Run next door to the sweet couple with the cat who barely get out anymore. Caddy corner to the fun family with the three teenagers. And then over to the recluse nobody knows anything about. They pull them all in tight and of course grab you right on in there. And he'd have everyone standing together. He'd put himself right in the center and he'd say, all right, count of three, cheese. The church, by its very nature, is a family of people we would never choose. And that's the point. Jesus chooses. Jesus calls us into being. Jesus declares it so by grace upon the vastly undeserving and unlikely. And in the process, do you see how Jesus then undercuts every form of familial loyalty except to himself? If we say, well, no, no, my real family, I mean the family I will do anything for, the ones with my last name. Yeah, but look at the photo, the one that Jesus himself has called into being. Or if we say in our words or our actions, no, no, I mean my, my real family is the institute, the school, the political party, grace covenant, our people, our country, our theology, our neighborhood. But look at the family photo. And it's not that we don't from season to season and time to time vote with or advocate for or come alongside certain groups or that we don't show up to certain family traditions with a 
certain people. But before we unconsciously just press click around a certain section of the photo, Jesus wants to ask, wants us to ask, who are my mother and brothers? Who really is family? To whom am I accountable and kin, loyal and loving at all costs? And all the more to ask that kind of question in times of pressure, temptation, decision, tension, fear, where maybe some form of the family or another does press us at the door, expecting a way, an answer, some quieting. Because if we can pause just long enough amidst all the tension and competing, competing demands to ask that question, we can pause long enough then to be stunned by the family photo whose frame never seems big enough. We will pause long enough to remember, you know what, we're not in charge of determining the lines and who's family enough, as if there's an ounce of earning our place in the family. We'll pause long enough to be decentered from a dangerous loyalty that might be holding us. And more importantly, the question allows us to pause long enough to look right to the center of the photo again and honor the first commandment, which is really what this scripture is all about. For there stands from all eternity the one who calls us sister and brother. That's right. Who is my brother? There is the fullness of truth. There is the fullness of love. There is the one who loved me so much that he spoke out against the family and was crucified. There is the advocate of life. There is the one with whom I am related by blood. There is my fundamental family in whom I have life. There, there is the one to whom I have my dying allegiance, for he gave no less. Amen.